giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel. I'm your other host, Lindsay Christensen. So we're here today to talk about marketing. Yes, a passion of mine. Yeah, at the beginning of the startup series, we we talked about sales, and now it's nice to finally be talking about, I think, what I consider the other big part of sort of business development, which is marketing. Yes, indeed. Can't have the sales without the marketing. I remember when we talked about sales, we talked a little bit about how sometimes or often sales gets a bad rep in the sort of companies or startup companies or among developers and that sort of thing. I think marketing often has the same issues, don't don't you? I mean, I'm a little bit biased, but yes, absolutely. <laughs> marketing definitely gets a bad rap. We're like a little bit higher than sales on the totem pole. Mm-hmm. So that's great, you know, to have someone else to to speak <laughs> negatively of in the company. I just, of course, sales is like my sibling. I do think that there is a sense marketing is seen as a little bit more of a creative endeavor, you know, and speaking from personal experience at ThoughtBot, I think the things that would traditionally be categorized as marketing have been much more natural for us to just do than sales things because they are more creative. It is more about, you know, creating something and Mm -hmm. and putting something out there for people, which works for us. Yeah. I mean, marketing is so broad. So it Mm -hmm. encompasses a lot of stuff, everything from like very sales oriented activities to things that are considered more creative or building community, creating content, you know, visual kind of uh, aspects mm-hmm. of the company. So there's like a, r- a really big kind of sliding scale. And yeah, sometimes, or maybe it's <laughs> thought about specifically, you know, things that are on one side weren't considered marketing and things closer to the, the other side were considered marketing. But mm-hmm. to me, they're mm-hmm. all, they're all part of it. So when it comes to new companies, I'm sure we'll hear this from our, our startups as well. When do most companies like think about marketing or first hit up against marketing activities? I think the very first thing that companies are forced to do is actually name themselves. (laughs) You know, I don't think you get really far without like, what are we going to call this thing? Both like the actual brand name and maybe what it looks like a little bit Mm -hmm. through to... What are you calling the the product or the service? What kind of category of solution or service is it that you're creating? These are the first kinds of things that you have to think about even as you're you're building it. Yeah. In your opinion, how much does name matter? This might be a little controversial. I've never been huge on brand name. Mm-hmm. I think it can help you out, but I think it's more important you know, if we're talking about products, if you're really honing in on your users and what the user need is, and from the marketing perspective, you're explaining that really well and engaging this audience, getting them in the product, creating great experiences, then what you call it at the end of the day, doesn't make a huge difference because you've done what really, really matters, which is create value for someone that you really understand. 
And I think also probably most products end up getting renamed too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a fair number of the startups that we work with end up renaming themselves along the way, Mm -hmm. even ones that it often happened before they ever work with us too. So it's like not uncommon for us to be signing a contract and the official company name, corporation name is like something completely different than the actual product that that they're going to market with as Mm -hmm. name. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's definitely like it makes your life easier, especially for a marketer. If you've got kind of this short, catchy name that you've always had, definitely kind of smooths the runway of your company life cycle versus going back and changing things and reminding people that you changed it and, you know, changing the social media handles and the URL and all those kinds of things. But it can be done, right? And it's done all the time. Yep. What about brand and in terms of logo and that kind of thing? Is it a similar story there or how much does it matter, especially for new companies just starting out? Logos even more so are going to change. Everyone's logo Mm -hmm. is going to change over time, even if your company name stays the same, because things kind of go in and out of fashion in design. So you're going to want to regularly be going back and kind of freshening up your logo and the look and feel so that it's, it's kind of has a, a modern look. I actually, this is kind of timely. The last company I worked at, I think I saw a social media post of theirs last week and I was like, oh my, it's blue. So they were, <laughs> had, they actually like very similar color to ThoughtBot, bright red. This was for uh, scientific lab equipment. And then last week, I I saw the social media post. It was blue. So I went to the website and everything was blue. And I I mean, I have a guess about what happened. I think Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I know, which it happens to a lot of companies that have like a bright red logo sometimes, is that it's too harsh and it is associated Mm -hmm. with like danger or warning signs. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're selling into enterprise, healthcare, pharma, enterprise, you know, all the logos tend to be the the enterprise blue in this enterprise blue field. Now, all that being said, even though I I, I agree with you, it's an area both name, actually less so name, more so on brand, look and feel, logo, It's an area where a lot of companies, I see them sinking a lot of time and energy and money into Mm -hmm. the first version of all of that. And I really think it is a shame because it mostly doesn't matter and it's going to be redone in a fairly short order in a lot of companies, no matter how much you end up spending on it. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the earlier on you are. You don't know what you don't know, right? Mm -hmm. You don't know if you're going to be changing industry or you end up actually changing the primary use case. You know, you had this app you thought was for the financial industry and now it's education. So the logo needs to, is going to change to reflect that. Or you started with something really specific and now you want it to be more broadly applied. So I totally agree with you there. Which, yeah, I don't know if you necessarily hear like heads of marketing usually (laughs) making this case, but I've definitely been there and experienced it, right? Which is like, let's not spend too much time on this. Let's do our best, put something out there that's quality that we like and acknowledge that it's going to change and that's okay. But let's go like really figure out our like 
audience and market and our sales cycle and, and things that, like that, that, that are going to be crucial for the, the company being successful. So after that, where do you think most companies next hit sort of things that fall in marketing? It's probably audience acquisition, which may be also customer acquisition, depending mm -hmm. on kind of where the product is. You need to start building your audience of people who are prospective customers, if not already customers. And when I say like building an, an audience, it's literally things like building an email list or getting people to follow you on social media. And the way to do that really is to provide them with valuable content. So I think very early on, and I think this has become the norm over probably the last 10 years or so, is to start with content creation to start to attract people that you want to know about you in one capacity or another. How much does industry and you know who your customers are, it influences what your strategy there is a lot, right? Like B2B is different than B2C. Mm -hmm. Healthcare is different than cooking products. Like it is different, right? Yeah, absolutely. The buyer is is different. Mm -hmm. So you know, the kind of information that you're providing them is going to be different. And, you know, with some cases, maybe you e are even sidestepping that audience acquisition component and actually looking to go straight to partnerships with other organizations, other companies that have existing audiences and thinking about selling through them or piggybacking on the audience that they already have. This episode of Giant Robots is supported by Teamistry, a podcast that tells the stories of teams who work together in new and unexpected ways to achieve remarkable things. Each episode of Teamistry tells a story, and in every story, you'll find practical lessons for your team and your business. This season, the show travels deep into the underwater caves of northern Thailand to discover how divers, medics, soldiers, and volunteers freed a group of trapped teenagers. It explains how a world-renowned watch company pitted their two factories against each other in an attempt to become the best watchmaker in the world. And finds out how Iceland went from having one of the highest COVID-19 death rates in Scandinavia to a model example of how to deal with the virus. These are stories that entertain, packed with business cases you can actually use. I got a sneak preview of season two of Teamistry, and I love the high production values and engaging narration from host and award-winning documentary filmmaker Gabriella Copperthwaite, uh, the director of Blackfish. Search for Teamistry anywhere you listen to podcasts. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Our thanks to Teamistry for their support. One of the things that's interesting is that now all three companies that we're following along with are B2B companies. You know, Nurse on One started out thinking it was going to be consumer um, mm -hmm. And that is no longer the primary focus. So take a metrics, Shearshare, Nurse One One, they're all selling to mm -hmm. other companies. Or in the case of Shearshare, people who are businesses, even if they're individual freelancers in their two-sided marketplace. And from my perspective, as someone who sees a lot of companies, the things you need to do and the things you need to spend money on, specifically when it comes to marketing, are completely different 
for consumer versus businesses. Like it's very rare for a B2B company to be thinking about like what, especially early on, like what ads are we running? What media are we buying? Mm -hmm. Those kinds of things. And often I see consumer facing companies asking those questions. Right. And often grossly underestimating if that's what they need to do, how much they're going to need to spend, if that's actually how they're going to build up their customer base. Yeah. And even thinking about you know, mobile apps specifically too. And mm-hmm. how are you getting placement in the app store so that folks are, are seeing you and downloading you and working on your reviews and ratings is crucial. So there's all these different components to marketing, brand, what we just talked about, like ad, content generation, content marketing, audience building, and then analytics and tracking all of that. Mm-hmm. How do you personally handle managing all of those different, it's pretty different knowledge that you need to have in all those different pieces? Yeah. Well, in a big company, each of those is a team, <laughs> oh. right? Oh, yeah. Okay. You've yes. got like a, an analytics team and an operations team and the creative team and a content team. But at startups or smaller organizations like ourselves, you're sharing those responsibilities or you own all of those responsibilities. And you kind of have to figure out what are the most important things to work on. When I'm starting somewhere and I've recommended to others, you know, starting somewhere, if they're heading up marketing and it's just them or a really small team, actually starting out by trying to build towards a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, that actually takes into account all the different areas of marketing. So for each quadrant, you're saying doing an analysis of like, how are we doing on brand or how, you know, how are we doing on product marketing? And then identifying where you should be putting in effort, either because something's working really well and you think, you know, you want to feel that fire or something seems to be not going well. Uh, in an alarming way uh, that Mm -hmm. you think it it actually needs to be addressed. And then using that to come up with priorities and map that to, you know, your year or down to the the quarters and think about, you know, should we outsource something? Should we just hold on something? But yeah, just kind of taking it one by one and, and figuring out what makes the most sense to focus on. Is there something that stands out in your mind as a mistake that a lot of companies just starting out commit? As far as like marketing is concerned, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes it's it's getting too hung up on the website. I see that a lot. It's also kind of a classic new head of marketing move to like come in and like redo the entire website. And maybe it needs to be done, but it's like, Mm -hmm. is it the first thing that needs to be done? You know, do you have enough of a framework there to like be building from? Because marketing, at the end of the day, you're trying to figure out how to go to market. You know, Mm -hmm. how do you position yourselves in the market so that you can get sales? And there's a lot that's in there. So doing a ton of revisions on the website, especially if it's like things like aesthetics, may not be the best use of time. Mm -hmm. What about bigger companies? Is there a mistake that stands out in your mind? Something that they often do? Ooh, 
I think with bigger companies, definitely something to look out for is like marketers or like certain marketing groups getting too far away from like the end user, I think Mm -hmm. is really common because you also start having gatekeepers and Mm -hmm. sometimes that's, you know, for good reason um, to maintain relationships and things like that. But how do you balance it with letting everyone get access to who the users are so it can be informing all the marketing activities that goes on? So I would say that's a really big one. And then just in general, you know, talking about gatekeepers, the red tape that goes on. So it's like, you know, you own this one little particular thing and that you're handing it off to someone else to run with or to execute, which can be fine, but it can also lead to things getting missed or even just like, you know, maybe you could take it to the next level in execution if you were allowed to run with it instead of passing it off. But that opportunity gets missed because it's not like, quote unquote, your area. You know, one of the things that stands out to me as like an ideal or it's really awesome when it happens, which is when marketing is so close to the customer and really understands the needs or the jobs to be done uh, of a customer and marketing is able to either drive what the product should be or new products in a way that is really exciting and natural when it happens. Like when, when marketing is saying like, here's a new thing we could do for our customers or a new market segment we could address. And mm-hmm. it actually grows the business. If you're not talking to customers, if you're too far away from your customers as part of the organization doing marketing, you're never going to be able to do that. Absolutely. So how do you stay on top of that as a head of marketing or as someone doing marketing? How do you, how do you make sure that you stay close to customers? I think there's a lot of ways to do it. One of the best ways that I get to do it is just having it naturally woven into the important things I'm working on. Mm-hmm. So even like this podcast, sometimes we interview past clients. We certainly interview people that are like the profile of clients we like mm-hmm. to work with. And every single week I do a user interview <laughs> in the context of a podcast interview. But do those conversations then help me get ideas about like, campaigns we could run or how to message things? Absolutely. Yeah. Same goes for, um, you know, the online events that we run that we have, you know, third party folks involved with. Uh, I learn a ton communicating with folks in that regard and getting to interview them or learn more about like what they're great at or what they're having problems with. So that's one way is to have it naturally in your work. Within that context, a classic way is case studies. So Mm -hmm. if you're regularly interviewing clients to write case studies, again, those are user interviews. Uh, You're learning a lot about what pains they had, why they worked with you, or why they used your product, what was the value they got, and all along the way, like how are they actually expressing it? What is the language that they're using? And that then helps you write better for your audience. Hey, Giant Robots fans. We're going to take a quick second to talk about Hover, one of our sponsors. As a listener of our show and just in general, I know you care about the business of great products. Hover wants to make sure you have a great domain for these products as Hover is jumping off point for tons of entrepreneurs. Hover has over 300 domain name extensions to choose from when building your brand online. 
No matter what you want to build, there's a domain name waiting for it. You'll find excellent technical support available to answer any questions you may have. Their support team doesn't upsell you. They only work hard to help you get online. With free Whois privacy protection, a clean UX UI, and monthly sales on popular top-level domains. It's hard not to see why Hover is a popular choice for people starting all kinds of businesses. I love the extent and variety they offer with over 300 domain name extensions to choose from. Grab a domain name at hover.com slash giant robots. Get a 10% discount with our referral link on all new purchases. Make a name for yourself with Hover. Going back to the online events that we've been running at ThoughtBot and, and that you mentioned, like I, th- I think one of the things I've really liked watching you and, and the marketing team do and I think we've done well is like, if you go to any one of our online events, there's a question on the registration form, like, what is your question for the panel or for the the speaker? And it would be very easy to just take in that question at its face value of like, oh, this is a question and we were going to use it for the panel. Mm -hmm. But like, you can get so much more information by looking at the actual questions and seeing what trends there are. And what you're doing is essentially asking what jobs clients have or things that they're worried about. And then we can potentially position ourselves as a solution to those problems. Yeah, absolutely. That also reminds me of at the beginning of the pandemic, we ran an online event about remote work Mm -hmm. because our team, while we were doing a lot of work in the office, we also do a ton of remote work, either between our studios or with clients who aren't in our cities. So we thought we had some pretty good practices that we could share with an audience that was maybe doing it for the first time. But again, we had, you know, the open question form for people to ask us what was on their mind or what they were having trouble with. And especially at that time, very, very beginning of quarantine, it was it was really useful to hear, you know, what portion of people were being like, you know, oh, we've been doing this for a while, but I'm just interested in hearing how you're doing it. Or Mm -hmm. we are doing this for the first time and I'm worried about not knowing what everyone's working on all day and just getting a gauge for, especially like our audience specifically, uh, where are they at and what are they worried about and how could we potentially help them? Yeah. And going beyond just the questions too, like looking at who is actually registering, what kinds of companies they're coming from, what their titles are, you know, that kind of thing and seeing whether there are trends or things to pull out that we might be able to use. Mm-hmm. I guess the lesson there or the the call that I'm making is like, it's so easy to just be doing things for the sake of doing them in marketing. And it's possible to like use all the parts of the Buffalo. There's a lot of things that can be pulled out from marketing activities that I feel like oftentimes people overlook. Yeah, I think a mistake that can happen both at the small company and the big company level is setting kind of arbitrary marketing goals Mm -hmm. and kind of blindly working towards them. First of all, you know, without the ability to kind of step back and see what's happening, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're just have like, this is my lead number and I'm getting it no matter what. And that's that obviously you're leaving a lot on the table. But also the the opportunity to see new opportunities, the opportunity to see new opportunities, <laughs> to recognize, you know, as a campaign's going on, a specific insight that could maybe lead you down a different direction that wasn't anticipated in the future. 
I think is really important that there's this kind of level of flexibility to learn from what you're doing and decide you're actually going to change it. This is somewhat related, but I feel like another benefit overall of marketing very much as people creating products or working in our own company, it's really easy to take a lot of stuff for granted or to be communicating something in a way which makes total sense to us, but just doesn't, <laughs> it's too technical or it does, it's not what actual customers or buyers are concerned with or or want to hear about mm-hmm. um, or it doesn't resonate with them. And so making sure that you're talking to customers, understanding who they are, but also like having a marketing team that can look at your product or your service or your company from a customer's perspective, from a little bit of an outside perspective and works to maintain that outside perspective mm-hmm. leads to, I think, good results. Yeah. Other ways that you can stay close to the end customers are by sort of shadowing, mm-hmm. you know, sales or customer success or whoever does own those relationships or even like listening to sales calls if your company uh, records sales calls. Another thing I do a lot of is reading through our CRM mm-hmm. and even seeing like people submit the form to work with us. You know, how are they viewing their project or their their problem? Also, how did they hear about us? I mean, that's that's a huge one. Or how did they think they hear about us versus how they actually came to mm-hmm. the, you know to came to the site? There's a, a lot of kind of creative ways that you can stay close to those end customers and then use that to make your work better. Yeah. So, what else about marketing should we talk about? Well, I I'm curious about. You know, I think I've got like a good idea of the product journeys for our, the startups. Mm-hmm. And we've touched on, you know, marketing things here and there. But I'm interested in the marketing journey of the yeah. startups. So first of all, how comfortable are they even with, you know, are they similar to sales, right? Like mm-hmm. with marketing, because they at least owned it when the company was starting, if not still. Right. Is that something that they kind of did with closed eyes looking between their fingers or are they totally comfortable with marketing and we're like, yeah, I got this. Then have they hired a head of marketing? Who is that? And what are they responsible for? I'm super curious. So what is their kind of first marketing priority area? Is it building partnerships? Was it content? Was it actual user acquisition? How much did they work on the brand? Things like that. And I want to see if the founders are thinking about category creation, Mm -hmm. if that's something that they're trying to do, if they're into that concept at all. Category creation being that you're creating a a completely new market Mm -hmm. category or industry category. Mm -hmm. And it's something that's kind of gained more kind of traction on the startup playbook, so mm-hmm. to speak, is, uh, you know, oh, we've got this completely new category we're creating and, and this is how. I think it's something some investors are really into. And the indicators of it are that you've got a huge community that you've pulled together through either events or online. 
you know, you've got a completely new name for the thing mm-hmm. that you're building and you've been able to basically convince, I'll say for lack of a better term, convince the market that this is a thing and that it's an important thing. And in B2B, at least the ways to do that are usually through like analysts covering it or like reputable media covering it as a, a, a thing. You know, you end up in those like magic quadrants, Forrester, mm-hmm. Gartner kind of things. And, you know, you're the leader in like the competitive landscape. Mm-hmm. That said, I also hear companies that are like, I don't care about category creation. I'm just trying to build the best whatever that is already, right. you know, an existing area. Right. But whatever side of that you're on, I think then you go in kind of a little, maybe a little bit different marketing directions, which mm-hmm. I'm always intrigued by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it strikes me that if you are in a certain space or you're, you're, you're in the sort of wrong direction for the category you're trying to create, you might get yourself in a situation where you've spent a ton of energy in trying to do that and not have it resonate with people, which is a risk. But it's a risk to any marketing strategy that you spend a bunch of time and energy working on something and not have it pay off. Yeah, definitely. It it almost feels bigger. And like in some ways, mm-hmm. it feels bigger than brand because mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, brand is like this flexible thing. But with the category creation, at least when like I've worked on it, it's like... <laughs> You're so like day in, day out, all day. You're like, this category is a thing. I am making it a thing. We are mm-hmm. at the top of this category and we will convince everyone. And then when the inevitable conversations like, you know, should we like rename it a little bit? Or like, maybe this isn't exactly working. And it's like, oh my God, right, what are we going right, to do now? Right. <laughs> yeah, me too. I look forward to those uh, upcoming episodes and talking to all the founding teams. All right. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at host at giantrobots.fm. You can find me on Twitter at cpytel. And you can find me on Twitter at lindsay3d. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.